0: We are far more sinful than we ever knew, ever could know, and He saved us anyway. Today is Palm Sunday, of course, that means next week's Easter. So we're going to take a couple of week break from Galatians. Um, We'll get back to it after Easter, beginning chapter 2. We've gotten through the first chapter of Galatians. Um, Over the first chapter of Galatians... Uh, Walking in the gospel has been a major theme, as Paul is telling the Galatians not to listen to false teachings about the gospel, but to walk in the gospel. Chapter 2 of Galatians is going to see the same thing. Peter and Barnabas are not walking according to the gospel, and Paul rebukes them there. So today, before Easter arrives, I want to go just a little bit deeper into what it means to walk in the gospel. We talked a, a little bit about it last week. But I want to go deeper into that, to what, a, what it means to walk in the gospel, what it, what it looks like to have a growing, victorious Christian life. Often we don't understand what that even looks like. And when we listen to a lot of the things that get said about that, we get even more confused. And to show you what walking in the gospel looks like and what this victorious Christian life looks like, I, I want to do this by sharing kind of a personal story with you and to show you a passage that God used powerfully in my life to illustrate this uh, in my own life. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So I was saved in 2003. I was, of course, raised in church and walked an aisle when I was 10 or 11, but God saved me when I was 29 years old in 2003. And when I was saved, I thought for sure I am the holiest person in the room. If everyone would just be like me, we would take the world for Jesus in just a couple of weeks and it'd be over with. But of course, you know, that's not true. And as I, as I grew in my Christian walk and grew in my understanding of the scriptures and closer to God, what happened was you see more and more of your own sin, more and more of the sinfulness in your heart. And come to realize I, I didn't even realize how sinful I was. And then over a period of time, there came a time where I hit a wall. So by this time, I was already a pastor at the church I came from previous to this one. And I came to realize, not only in all the other sin and all the other things that were going on in my heart, I came to realize that I didn't love people the way that God commands me to love people. Now, that may not seem like a very big deal to you. A lot of people would say, oh, that's just, everybody's like that. We just can't help it. But it was devastating to me. Jesus had been clear, love your neighbor as yourself, love one another as I have loved you. And to fail in that, I mean, it means that I'm not loving God as he commands me to love him either. Not loving him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said in 1 John, how can you love me if you don't love your brother whom you see? Jesus said, these are the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I was doing neither the way that God commanded me to, it hit me really, really hard. I mean, how could I call myself a Christian, much less a pastor, and not love God the way he's called me to love, not love people the way he's called me to love people. But then I went further down the rabbit hole. when I started to examine myself. What, what had happened to me? What's caused this? How did I get like this? And as I examined my own heart and my life, I realized I had never loved people like God has commanded me to love. All this time, all this time I spent worshiping and studying God's word and preaching sermons. I was an associate pastor at the time, walking in, walking with the Lord, rejoicing and praising and praying and doing all the things. All this time, this sin was right there. You're not loving people like I've commanded you to love. You're not loving me like I've commanded you to love. It horrified me. And I was resolved, I, I'm going to fix this. I'm gonna, this stops today. Now, if there's something I need to do, something I need to learn how to do, I just go find a book, you know, it tells me how to do it. And I go study on that thing. I, I, I read what somebody else has done. I, I delve into the Bible and Bible studies about what needs to happen and all that. I figure it out and I do what needs to be done. But everywhere that I turned... Every book that I read, every Bible study that I got into, it didn't tell me how to love people from the heart, how to love God from the heart. It told me how to act lovingly, how to do loving things for people, how to act lovingly toward God. But I didn't want to learn how to act lovingly. I wanted a heart that truly loves. I wanted to know how to have victory over this sin in my life. So I studied everything I could find about how to kill this sin, how to, how to change this heart within me. But still, everywhere I turned, I was told if you want to change your heart, if you want to grow in maturity in Christ, you want to grow as a Christian in Christ, you have to try harder. You have to devote yourself more. You have to believe more deeply. You have to surrender yourself more fully to reach this higher spiritual level with God, and then you will have victory. It kind of went like this. If you surrender yourself fully, you will have victory in God. You don't have victory right now, so you must not have surrendered yourself fully, so go back and surrender again. And I would go and I would surrender again and again and again. I would commit myself myself again, again, and again. No, 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 God, really this time I mean it. I'm extra super committing myself now. And this cycle continued until at the end of that, Now I felt more like a failure than I did when it started. Not only could I not love people as God commanded me to love, or love God as He commanded me to love Him, but now I couldn't even give myself to God adequately. No matter how hard I tried, I didn't know how to change my heart. So I begged God, please change my heart. Take this off of me. Let me love people the way you love people. Let me love you the way you commanded me to, be lo- commanded me to love. Uh, allow me to do this, please. But there was some secret I was missing. There was some knowledge that I didn't have, some technicality that I couldn't find, and God wouldn't show it to me. He wouldn't give me the key, and it broke me. It dropped me into a pit of despair and frustration. I, I can't even explain to you. And it was in that place that God brought me to Colossians chapter 2. And it was here that I began to see what walking in the gospel means. I'll tell you what happened at the end. It'll keep you awake to the end of it. Much like Galatians, Colossians is written because another kind of false teaching was entering in the church. We've seen Judaizers in Galatians adding to the gospel. Well, in Colossae, it was some form of Judaizers, but it was also an early form of what's called Gnosticism. Now, I'm not going to go into big detail. I'm going to simplify it. I'm going to oversimplify it for you. Basically, Gnosticism was teaching that there's a secret knowledge that was required to reach a higher level with God, a higher life, the the true victorious life, the true God indeed. It required the secret knowledge that you had to learn. And Colossians was written by Paul to show them that Christ is enough. Paul is writing to grow them to maturity in Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 1, verse 28, Him, meaning Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's his aim. He says, for this I toil, to present everyone mature in Christ. This is why I'm toiling. It's why I'm struggling with all this energy that He powerfully works within me. His aim is their maturity in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he begins chapter 2, saying, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. What's he struggling for? For their maturity in Christ. For those, for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, this is what he wants. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see what he's doing? They're saying you need a higher knowledge. No, no. In Christ is hidden all of the the secrets, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says, I say this to you in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So you see what he's saying? He wants their hearts to be encouraged. He wants them to be knit together in love. He wants them to reach the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of Christ. And then in verse 6, he begins to tell them what this looks like. What moving toward maturity looks like. And it's simply this. In verse 6, he says to walk in Christ. He says, therefore, do you see it? So, I want you to be mature in Christ. I want you to be knit together in love. Have full assurance, full understanding, full wisdom in Christ. Therefore, because I want all this, this is what you do. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says, I want you to be mature. This is what you do. Just as you have received Christ in the same way, so walk in Him. You remember how you received Christ? I mean, that's a pretty simple question, simple enough question. It was by simple, a simple repentant faith, by grace through faith. You remember when God saved you? You remember when you came to Him broken and sinful, without any goodness of your own, without any redeeming works, without any religious offerings. You came as a sinner with nothing to offer God. And you remember the moment that Jesus saved you? In that moment, you received forgiveness of your sins? In that moment, Jesus was all that you had. You had nothing to offer. You had no good works. You had been a Christian for all of ten seconds. You had nothing to give God. All you had was Jesus. And He was all that you needed. You had no righteousness of your own, but you were redeemed. You were adopted. You were reconciled. You were justified. It was as if the burden of all of this, the whole world, just fell off your shoulders. And you had victory. You remember? You had freedom. Paul says, in the same way you received Him, by the same repentance, the same faith, walk in Him. Now we'll talk more about what that means in a moment, but first let Paul explain what he means by walking in Christ. Look at verse 7. He says, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If you have your Bible open in front of you, take a pen and circle the words rooted and the word established. Those two words are in the perfect tense. They're completed actions in the past. It's already done. You have been, once for all time, rooted. You have been established in the faith. The, the, it's continuing today, you are still rooted, you are still established, but it is done. You're planted in Him, established in the faith, and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Him. And if you have your Bible in front of you, that word that's built up, don't put a circle, but a square or something, something different. I don't care what you put. That's in the present tense. It's ongoing right now. You are being built up right now. And all three of those words are the passive voice. I'm sorry for the English lesson, but that's what you get today. That means you didn't do it. It was done to you. That's not something you did or you are doing. God did that. He rooted you. He established you. He is building you up right now. In fact, the only active verb in that whole verse is abounding in thanksgiving. That's what you do. So Paul tells them to walk in Christ the same way that they received him because you've been rooted in him. You are being built up in him. But then he gives them something to watch out for in verse 8. He says, see to it or watch out that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, could also be translated elemental principles of the world and not according to Christ. See to it that you're not taken captive by any philosophy that is according to human traditions. Now philosophy in this sense is not necessarily Plato or Aristotle or something like that. It's any set of beliefs, a school of thought, what you might call a guiding principle. It's like saying, I live by this philosophy. Paul says any guiding principle, any worldview, any way of thinking that is not according to Christ is foolishness. Don't let it take you captive. And as Paul says, continues to explain in verse 9, we're going to see one of these worldly philosophies that he's warning us about. It's the philosophy that the Gnostics and the Judaizers taught. It's that there is something else that you need in addition to Christ to have fulfillment. But in verse 9, Paul shows us to walk in Him because Christ is our fulfillment. He says, don't let any human tradition or any philosophy take you captive for because... In Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Don't let any teaching take you captive because Christ is the whole fullness of God. And you have been filled. Jesus is all that there is of God. I'll take you back to the Trinity at some and We'll talk about that again. Talking about how each person is the fullness of God. They're all of God. Jesus is all of God in bodily form. All God and man. And God has given you His fullness in Christ and by His Spirit. Look what Paul says. You have been filled in him. If you have an NIV in front of you, it says in Christ you have been brought to fullness. A New American Standard Bible in front of you says in Him you have been made complete. You see what Paul's saying here? You were united with Christ when you received Him. So there's nothing more to gain. You have been made complete. He is the fullness of God. You have received the fullness of God. You have been filled in Christ. There's nothing more to earn. He's paid for every sin. There's nothing more to do to be in perfect relationship with God. There is nothing else to fulfill you. And there is no greater authority that can supersede what he has done. You see at the end of verse 10, he's the head of all rule and authority. So Paul says, just as you received Him, walk in Him. And this leads us to the question, how? How has He filled us? How are we complete in Him? We're given the answer in verses 11 through 14. He is our reconciliation and our life. He says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus has brought us into perfect covenant with God. That's what all this circumcision talk is about. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. Paul says, by faith in Him... By being united with Him, you have been circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands. In Him, in Christ, the body of your flesh has been cut away. In God's sight, it's no longer there. The part of you that separates you from a holy God has been cut away. You were buried with Him, with Jesus in baptism. His death is your death. By grace through faith, you were united to Him in His resurrection so that His new and eternal life is now your new and eternal life. Walking in Christ means that you understand that, that you're perfect in covenant with God. You're not perfect in the way that you walk in this world, but in God's eyes, at the judgment bar of God, in covenant with Him, in Christ, you are perfect in Him. You've already died for your sin. In Him you've already been raised to new life. God existed in eternity past, before there was a creation, before there was air, before there was trees, before there was anything, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect love relationship. The three persons of the one God. And He created, and you know the story. Humans fell, Adam and Eve fell into sin, and they were separated from that love relationship. And the eternal Son of God left the glories of heaven, took on the nature of a human. He lived the life you couldn't live, keeping the law of God in every detail. He gave His perfect life as a substitute for your sin, paying the penalty that you deserve, and by grace through faith, you're united to Him, buried with Him, raised with Him. And when the Son of Glory, both God and man, ascended into heaven, entered back into the throne room of heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, He brought you with Him, so that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, as it says in Ephesians 2, six. He brought you back into the love relationship of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit that creation was intended to be. And now you're seated with Christ. How did He give this life to you? Well, at the cross. He says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Every time you've ever transgressed God's law, done wrong, sinned against God, every time you failed to do what is right, even sins you didn't realize that you had done, He's forgiven you, it says, all our trespasses. By pouring out His justice on His own Son, He canceled the record of debt that stood against you. You owe a legal demand. You owe justice for every sin, every word. Every thought, every action, every time you failed to act, every time you didn't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But He canceled the debt. He canceled the debt by nailing it to the cross. Now that is either true or it's not true. God is either completely satisfied in Jesus Christ or He is not. And if He is, there's nothing else you can do. There's no hoop that you need to jump through. And if there were, you couldn't jump through it anyway. In Christ, He has forgiven every transgression. That's what it says. Forgiven us all our transgressions. The end of verse 13. Even the sins that you haven't even discovered that you have. He canceled the record of debt. And if that's true, then last verse, we'll read verse 15. Christ is our victory. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, look at it, triumphing over them in Him. God the Father disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. By the cross, He disarmed rulers and authorities, took away all the power of the enemy to condemn you. There is no accusation that can stand against you if you are in Christ. Romans 8, who can lay a charge against God's elect? Now listen, in this new life that we walk in, we are convicted by the Spirit when we sin. That's evidence of salvation. If you're not convicted of your sin by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know the difference between condemnation and conviction? So real quick, I don't want to dwell on this, but you can come talk to me afterward if you don't understand. But Conviction is a good father walking into his child's room saying, Son, you made a mistake. You did something wrong. Here's what you did. Here's what you need to do to fix it. And then here's, what, here's where we're going to go from here. So is God by the Holy Spirit saying, Jason, you sinned against this person right here. You need to repent of that sin. You need to go and tell them you're sorry and go make it right. And then you need to walk in the gospel. That's what conviction looks like. That's the godly father coming into your room. Condemnation is an evil father walking in saying, you're just stupid. You're never going to amount to anything. There's nothing you can do. You can't do anything right. You're never going to be anything right. There's nothing that specifically you've done wrong. There's no way to fix it. It's just about you're terrible. That's condemnation. And when condemnation comes, we flush it. It's not of God. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He put all our enemies to shame. And if the Spirit lives in you, you've been born again, the Spirit lives in you and brings conviction of sin, which He does in all of His children, that means the power of sin to enslave you is also broken because the Spirit is there to convict you when you sin. He has put all His enemies to shame and has triumphed over them. And we're in Him. So His victory is our victory. Yes, the battle still rages in our lives. Our enemies are still powerful. They're still active. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But this war is over. And the victory has already been won. And there is no greater victory to be had. Jesus has done it all. Now, Colossians doesn't end right here in verse 15. He goes on to talk about a lot of different things, a lot of things we must do as Christians. He gives instructions and commands for husbands and wives and servants. He commands the church. He commands a lot of things in this letter. But all the things that he commands us to do are built off of this foundation right here in chapter 2. How we walk in this Christian life must be built on this foundation as well. We must see everything through the lens of the gospel, walking in Him just as we have received Him. So putting it all together, what does it mean to walk in Christ? Let me tell you the rest of the story. I remember exactly where I was. When all of this struggle, all of this turmoil, all of this in my heart came to a head, I was sitting in my office in Tennessee, I was staring out my window across a field, and I was just crying and praying. I mean, I had tried and tried and tried and tried. I had read more books and Bible studies than I cared to admit. How to love God rightly, how to love people as God's commanded. I had dedicated lots of time, lots of energy to learn how to kill this sin that was in me. But I needed to find the secret to this victorious life, this higher spiritual life with God where I could finally have victory over this thing in my heart. I had surrendered myself and re-surrendered myself again and again and again. I had committed my heart again and again and again and still it was there. My heart had not changed. I still struggled with this. And now I feel more like a failure than I did when I first started. I was Defeated, You can't even do the kindergarten thing. You can't even love God like you're supposed to love God. I was broken. I was beaten. I was missing something. But nobody could tell me what it was. I remember staring out that window and through the tears and, and just telling God. I remember just giving up and I, I, to the point where I'm going to go find another job. I remember saying... This is just hopeless. I cannot change my heart. I can't be who you called me to be. Not even in this little, supposedly little thing, to love you. I can't even do that as you've commanded. I remember begging him, why are you hiding the solution from me? Why are you keeping the secret to this victorious life from me? I look around and everybody else is happy. Everybody else is going. to. Why are you doing this to me? Why don't you just tell me what I have to do? Just remove this and, and just make me love people like you love people, like you're calling me to love people. But still, I heard no answer from God. That morning in my, in my reading, in my devotion time, I had read this passage from Colossians chapter 2. So, in that moment, when I'm crying out to God and I'm getting nothing, and I'm sitting there through tears looking out this window, I just gave up. And in desperation, when, I mean, pretty much all hope was lost and God seemed silent, I remember just sitting back in my chair and saying out loud, Well, I guess all I have is the gospel then. And yeah, just like what you just thought, that's what I thought that's when the light came on yeah that's all you need as you have, I just read as you have received Christ walk in Him surrender isn't a work I needed to do to attain victory or some higher spiritual level with God surrender was simply just trusting Jesus is enough and there's nothing else I can do It's letting go of all of this and trusting the gospel has made me right with God. And God is working in me. God is changing my heart. I had failed to understand what the growing Christian life looks like. We have this awkward view. I had this awkward view that the maturing Christian life is as we grow closer and closer to God, it means we struggle less and less with the world, the flesh, and the devil. When in fact, as you grow closer to God, the light of His holiness reveals more and more of your sin. Sin you never knew was there. That's what light does. It reveals dark places. And the trap I fell into was when this conviction came and this sin was revealed in my heart, I was running away from God to try to fix it so I could come back to God and have peace and fellowship with Him. I was doing exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. I was hiding from God in my sin. Now listen, my heart hated the sin that was within me. That's the evidence of the Spirit's work in you. And as time passed, I saw more and more and more of it that I never knew was there. And when it was revealed, I just ran away. I I, want to go try to find a way to fix this so I can come back and be happy and rejoice. What I should have done is run to God. He knew about this sin long before I did. He had paid for that sin long before I realized it was even there. That's what the growing Christian life looks like. It's a life of growing in repentance and faith. The same way that you have received Christ. Walk in Him. When conviction of, co- of sin comes, believer, it feels bad. But it's a good thing. It's evidence of salvation within you. It's the Spirit's work in you, in every one of His children. And you need to know right now that you're far worse sinner than you think you are. But in the gospel, we we can't run away from God and try to fix our issues, our hearts. We have to run to God in repentance and faith. And at the cross, we find the same forgiveness, the same grace that we first experienced through the gospel because it never left there. That's the only place it's found. Jesus is enough. In Him, you are filled. In Him, you are reconciled. In Him, you have life. In Him, the debt has been canceled. In Him, you have victory. Now, fast forward, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so, this person at the church that I didn't really know well at all, wasn't friends with them, just, hey, how you doing? That's about as much as I knew. They came to me with a problem, a tragedy had happened in their life, and I was going to counsel them through it. That was what I was supposed to do. And as all that was going on, their pain and their burden, it just filled my thoughts it filled my heart it filled my it filled my dreams I dreamed about it at night I mean it was just oppressive it was all over me I took it home I couldn't get it off me it was like their tragedy had devastated me it was overwhelming I was carrying this burden I was struggling with it all big time and and I, I felt kind of I wouldn't the same way but I kind of said the same things as I had said before God why are you doing this to me take this off me God, why why is this happening? Why am I so wrapped up in all of this stuff? Why is it affecting my heart like this? And God brought my mind back to that window and said, this is what you asked for. You want to love people like I called you to love, like I love people? Good luck. Here you go. Now, I'm not saying, I still struggle with loving people as they're called, as we call to be loved. Is loving God, as he, I mean, I'm not a master of it. I hadn't found the secret that makes it all go away. We still struggle with all, all of these things. But what, it, what I was shown that day, I believe, through that text and through the subsequent year later, what happened is the gospel is enough. And I was assured in that moment, I finally understood, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I can't change my heart, and neither can you. But God is working in us and through us if you have been born again, and the gospel is all that we need. As you have received Christ, in the same way you receive Christ, so Walk in Him. Just as you've received Him, walk in. Trust in Jesus whether you are a believer or not today. If you're not a believer, trust in Jesus and be saved. Receive Christ. We're not talking about change your belief system. Well, well, I guess we are, but we're not talking about accepting a belief system or a doctrine or historical facts. We're talking about receiving a person. To those who received Him, to them He gave the authority to become children of God. We're talking about receiving Jesus Christ and your sin will be nailed to the cross. Believer, every day, We get up and we trust in Jesus. We trust in the only gospel that we have. For in it we're right with God. And there's nothing else we can add. Nothing we can take away. As we received Him, we have to walk in Him. Trust in Jesus today. And He will save you. And you will grow to see more and more of your sin as the day goes by. But no longer do you have to run away from God to try to fix things yourself that you can't fix anyway. You run to God in repentance and faith. And the Holy Spirit of God will produce fruit as you walk in this way. Trust in Jesus today. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for, thank you for your spirit. Father, I pray that you would be with us today as believers in Christ, that we would, that we would see everything through the lens Of the gospel through the lens of Jesus. God, when we fail, when we succeed, doesn't matter. We are in Christ. God, continue to convict us of our sin as you do in every single one of your children. God, we thank you for that. It is such a grace, such a blessing. Continue to mold us and make us to who you'd have us to be. Continue to show us our inadequacies so we more and more depend on you as we grow in Christ. Help us to see that growing to maturity. And victory means we're more dependent than we were before. God, help us just to lean upon you and find our peace in you. And if there's anyone here that does not know you, God, I pray that you would call upon their heart today, that they would receive you today, that you would draw them to yourself today, and that they would receive the forgiveness of their sin, that they would be adopted into your kingdom, into your family, into this love relationship that you have shared For all eternity, God, I pray that you would bring salvation to hearts today and that we would walk in you. Lord, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here. I would love if you'd come. If you'd come, I'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?